Never mind. Hello. <laughs> Great honor to be here with you guys. Do we have any runners here? Do you guys enjoy running? I'm not a runner, good, I'm not a runner. Uh, growing up, I actually used to run a lot every morning to school because I was always late, late or running after the bus, you know, chasing after a bus. That's the kind of running that I've done in my life, so not serious running. But my husband, Daniel, he's a runner, he's a real runner. In fact, several years ago when I was pregnant with our first baby, he ran the Denver Marathon. So he practiced, you know, he was very disciplined and he was training a lot and it was very inspiring to watch that. So the day of the race, the day of the marathon, I drove down to Denver and I would stop, you know, at the strategic spots where the runners would go by and cheer him on. Yeah, that's my husband. Woohoo, good job, babe. And then go back to the car, drive a few miles down and then park again and go back to where the runners would go pass by, wait for him. Yay, there you are. Wow, you're doing amazing. Good job. And then drive again. And I was doing that from checkpoint to checkpoint, all the way to fit the finish line, just cheering him on. It was so exciting to live that with him. Now, I was pregnant, so running from point to point, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. In fact, by the end, I thought I deserved some applause too, you know. That marathon was hard. It was a hard marathon for all of us. So the passage that we're going to be looking at today, when I read it, it reminds me of this story. The passage today, Paul is so proud of the Ephesians and what they're doing, and he's cheering them on. He's kind of running alongside and saying, good job, you guys. You're doing amazing. You can do this. He's cheering them on, and the reality is that we're all in a race. And maybe you're doing amazing in your race of life. Maybe you're as strong as ever. But maybe you have gotten tired or stagnant. And maybe you're here today and you need this cheering on. Maybe you're here today and you need a fresh hope. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Sounds good. Let's open our passage today. It's Ephesians 1. Uh, let's read verses 15 and 16, where Paul writes to the Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul had heard about their faith. Can you believe that? Can you imagine such faith that people hear about, that people talk about? Their faith was famous, not only their faith, but the way they loved each other. Their love and their faith was being talked about and made its way all the way to prison where Paul was. And he heard about it. And he says, you guys, you are doing incredible. I heard about what you're doing. And it's inspiring. 
wavering. I'm inspired by your love and your faith. And Paul not only affirms them through his words, but he prays for them. He validates the power and the importance of prayer when he prays for them. I love getting these glimpses of Paul's prayer life in the Bible. It's inspiring. And it's good to remember, like I said, Paul was in prison. He had every reason to be completely self-centered, focused on his own struggles. I mean, he had plenty on his plate. Roman prison was no joke. If I were in his place, seriously, I would be writing letters asking desperately for prayers for me. Pray for me. Look what's going on with me. But instead, he's joyfully praying for others and celebrating them. It was kind of like me waddling around pregnant, cheering up my husband. No, I'm not comparing pregnancy to Roman prison. No, Paul was in real misery. And he was cheering on other people. He was inspired. And previously in this chapter, we have been studying it. And we saw that Paul, he was going on and on about the vertical, our relationship with God, right? And now he's modeling this horizontal, our relationship with one another. And I think it's fascinating because one doesn't exclude the other. In fact, your vertical, your relationship with God should be connecting you even more to the people around you. And Paul inspires me with his selfless heart and the way that even in the midst of this tragedy with him, he is happy for other people. And so I also find it, in, I find it interesting that Paul says that the Ephesians' faith is amazing and then he decides to pray for them. I don't know about you, but I usually tend to pray for people who are struggling. Not like, oh, you're doing so amazing, I'll pray for you. It's usually the opposite, right? You're having a hard time, so I'll pray for you so God can help you in that place. But Paul, he says, you're doing so well. I'm going to pray for you so you can have even more of that reality in your life. May that increase. So let's read what these prayers were that Paul prays. Verses 17 and 18. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I love this scripture so much. So what is he praying here? As I'm meditating on this, if you just stare at these two verses, what is Paul saying? He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know God better. And he prays that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that they may know hope. So there's a common thing here. He's praying that they may know, that they may know God and that they may know hope. This prayer is not about asking God for things. Definitely not material things. But he doesn't pray for them to get something that they don't have. He prays for them to know what they already have. 
And this prayer is not just for the Ephesians, it's for all of us today. And that's why we're talking about it and meditating on it. It's a prayer for revelation that we may understand what we have been given. We have been learning ever since the beginning of this chapter. If you take a step back and just take a big, you know, big picture look on this chapter, Paul says right in the beginning that we have blessed in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And he goes on to describe what these blessings are. And right now he prays that we may know. That's the key, I believe, for this whole chapter. And it's not about material blessings. It's about spiritual blessings. And it's not about provision of blessings, but about perception of the blessings that we have already been blessed with. Does it make sense? So let's see, first of all, Paul prays that they may know God, that, um, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. When I think of knowing God, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of getting to know God. This kind of took me on a journey back since when I was a little girl. I had an aunt who had this painting above uh, her bed. And it has, you might have seen it around, it's pretty popular, but it has all the names and attributes of God. You know what I'm talking about? It's like uh, Prince of Peace, Author of Life, King of Kings, Messiah, Creator, Everlasting Father, and uh, Holy, and Lamb, and you know, on and on. And in the middle, it says, I am and it still gives me the chills to think about it because it's so powerful to have all these attributes and names of God compiled in one square, which of course it wasn't even all, it wasn't all there, but all that was compiled there. I remember staring at that painting and thinking, wow, I don't even understand half of what this says, but it is so fascinating and it's powerful and it's beautiful. And I want to know this God. I want to know what it means that he is my father. I want to know what, he, what it means that he is a good shepherd. I want to find it in the Bible. I want to see it alive in my life. I want to not just read about it. I want to experience it. I want to know what that means. And that, among so many other things, kind of set me in this journey of, I want to discover everything there is to know about God. I don't want to ever be satisfied. I want to know everything there is to know about him. And seeing that in action. And I love worshiping him and seeking him with my friends. I don't know if you guys are on e-groups when you sit and you start discussing together, sharing your experiences and how God is active and alive in your life and seeing the names and nature of God playing out around you. It's a beautiful thing. The knowledge of God starts bearing fruits. It starts transforming your life. So it's not about knowing God in your head. We're not talking about just information. It's about experiencing him. This word of knowing God here in this verse speaks of intimacy with God. 
and I want more. And he's infinite. There's never an end. You know, you never get to a point where you say, okay, I learned everything there is to know about God. For the rest of our lives, we're on this journey of discovering who he is. So back to Paul's prayer, he prays this, that, that they would know God more, more, and even more. And how do you know God more? He says, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is simply a description of the spirit of God. Even though the spirit of God lives in you, if you're in Christ, he lives in you. But there's all these attributes of him that can be increased in you. You know, God gives, but he keeps on giving. So Paul highlights these characteristics and he says, I pray for wisdom and revelation. This spirit of wisdom and revelation in you. So thinking about wisdom, the wisdom of God to be increased in you, that sounds amazing to me to have the wisdom of God. And again, it's not about knowledge and information. It's about spiritual discernment. It's having that right judgment of things. It's understanding things right. And I believe that having the wisdom of God being poured out on you, it's like when you suddenly see things differently. Maybe you're in a situation and you, you suddenly see things in a way that you couldn't before. That's the wisdom of God in you. You know, sometimes we're just blinded and maybe you can't seem to put all the pieces together, but then God blesses you with that spirit of wisdom and you get an insight from God. And you get that wisdom from God. And not only the wisdom of God helps you and allows you to understand things better, but as Paul prays, the spirit of wisdom helps you to know God more. And then he mentions the spirit of revelation to know God better. Having revelation of God, it can look very different to each of us. Each of us will experience revelation of who God is in a different way. So I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. So I'm going to share just a little bit what it means, what has meant in my life, having this spirit of revelation. Back when I was a teenager in middle school, we were having this service. And I remember that's probably what I, if I had to, pimp, I, I grew up in church, but if I had to, pinpoint my moment of salvation, I would pick this moment in this church service where suddenly I had that overwhelming realization that I was a sinner and I desperately needed God. You know, when suddenly that spirit of revelation allows you to understand who you are and who he is and you turn your life to him. That click, that moment of click, maybe you can recall that in your life as well. And then I remember starting to read the Bible more because I had heard the Bible stories, but suddenly I'm reading the Bible and then a word would pop up out of the page. Back then we still had pages, now it's more electronic, but out of the page that word would, would pop out and speak to me and that was God's revelation when he's directly speaking to you and bringing that word to life. 
I was seriously so addicted to that. I loved reading the Bible and having words pop out of the page. That was the best thing when it touches you in your belly, you know, and it burns you and you know God is speaking to you. He's revealing himself to you. He's revealing his heart to you. And then not only in your, what we call the prayer closet, when you're in your bedroom praying and reading the Bible, but living life. So suddenly you, you start carrying God around with you. And I remember in my bus rides to the university back in Brazil, it was a very packed bus. There were like 2 million students in the tiny bus and we we're all squished. And I remember riding up to the university and just praying and praising him for the day. And then I'd look around and suddenly I would have this new revelation and start seeing people through his eyes. Suddenly I would look around and see people and feel compassion for them and feel God's love for them. That's the spirit of a revelation. And I love my top favorite. I love encountering him in worshiping, in worship, in worshiping him, experiencing that manifested presence of God. God is everywhere, but there are times he manifests his presence. And I love to seek that. I love to experience that. That place where you enter his presence and you feel like this is where I belong in the revelation of his presence. That is transforming, that is alive, and that's exciting. And that's what I pray for you today, like Paul prayed for the Ephesians. So how do you experience the Spirit in your life, in your daily life, in your relationships, in your prayer time, in your worship? What does that look like for you? Like I said, there's always more. And for me, yeah, that's great. I've experienced these things. I'm thankful. That's awesome. But I want more. I am so aware. There's more of God for me to know and for me to experience. And I want more in my journey. And we need this spirit of wisdom and revelation because... Spiritual things are discerned spiritually. That's what the Bible says. It's not something that you're going to figure out in your brain. It's a revelation in your spirit. And this word speaking of having intimacy and communion with him, it's finding this depth in your spirit, in your spiritual life. And the Holy Spirit helps you to know God better. Now, the roadblock that I usually find, the roadblock that I see you know, when talking to people and experiencing too in my own life is when suddenly we feel like, I'm good, I got enough. You know, we, we can be very um, too easily pleased. You know, when you kind of get something and you think, that's good, that's cool. The thing is that knowing God is such a paradox because make, maybe you, you get a drop of revelation of who he is, and that is really amazing. And you're so happy with that drop. The problem is the drop is not all that there is. I'm always very challenged by uh, that quote from C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you guys have heard before. It says, we are half-hearted creatures like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant 
by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. King David, he messed up a lot. If you've read anything about his story, there's just a bunch of craziness there. But one thing that he got right, and it's really inspiring, is that he was obsessed with the presence of God. He actually prayed in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in his presence all the days of my life just to gaze on his beauty. Now to pray for one thing, like forget everything else, I'll pray for one thing and that is that I may just sit in the presence of God and just gaze on his beauty. David was not easily pleased. He wanted more. He wanted everything that there was to have. He realized this incredible place to be in God's presence. Now, knowing God makes your life satisfying. It gives you purpose. It gives you redemption. It gives you healing. Knowing God God, gives you power to stand against the enemy. Knowing God is knowing joy, is knowing hope, is knowing the meaning of life. Knowing God is loving extravagantly, experiencing freedom. But ultimately, I want to know God not because of what I'm going to get, not because of what he's going to cause in my life, but I want to know him because knowing God is the most important thing in life to be known. There is nothing or no one more significant for you to know than God. Oh, friends, that's my prayer for us today. I want us all to enter this place of greater intimacy in our relationship with him. Have the revelation of his attributes, of his heart, his plans, what he's doing. You know that we may know more of his person, his nature, his works, and the existence of this great God who we call Father The second thing that Paul prays is that we may know hope. So he prays that we may know God, and now he prays that we may know hope. He says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So hope is one of those words linked to the future, right? You always say, I hope I'll get that job. I hope things will turn out okay. You're always hoping for something to come. And that's what makes hope a very difficult thing to experience because it's completely out of your control. And sometimes you set your expectations high and then that thing doesn't happen. And then you're disappointed. And we start yelling, Callousy as we grow up and after we're adults, it's harder and harder to hope because you're thinking you're gonna get disappointed. You're like, I'm, I can't be so hopeful. When you are going through a, a difficult situation, how do you manage to stay hopeful? 
So when I was asking myself this question, and I was studying the, this, and I was reading around about hope, and you know, there are great definitions about hope. There are techniques to develop hope. I actually love many of them. There's this one for you to every day name three things that you are grateful for. That's a great technique. Do that. It's awesome. I'm all about being positive, being optimistic, and look on the bright side. I'm all for that. Except this is not what this scripture is talking about. He says, this is not um, a feeling to, it's, it's not a calling, excuse me, to feeling hopeful. He says that we're called to know the hope. So it's not about feeling hopeful, but to know the hope. The hope, it's a noun, it's something. It's something, not a feeling, it's something for us to know. So suddenly my question changes. It's not anymore, how can I be hopeful? Now it is, what is this hope? Also, he doesn't say that, may you, that, that you would receive this hope as something you don't have, but again, that you may know this hope that you were called to, the inheritance that is in you. It's in you. So wait, pause everything. Is there hope in me, in you, in us that we just don't know about? This to me sounds like a question like, is there a million dollar bank account that I'm not aware of in my name? Again, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. So we're not to receive hope, but to know the hope that we already have. So I'm kind of walking you with, with me in my own journey, okay? Because then I realized this and I'm thinking, all right, so what is the hope? So I started searching in the Bible. Okay, let's search in the Bible. Hope, hope, hope. Every scripture you find in the Bible about hope, normally it's linked to the word heaven, the hope of heaven, the hope for the future, this inheritance to come. And yes, as Christians, we have heaven is our hope. We have this hope, which is heaven. Heaven is this incredible place that when you die, all the suffering and pain is gone. It's this place of complete satisfaction, fulfillment, wholeness. It's new bodies and seeing Jesus face to face and new heaven and new earth. And it is exciting. It's an amazing inheritance to come, and it is something that gives me hope. Absolutely. Thinking about heaven does give me hope. But what about now? Does this mean that there's a hope of heaven, so we just kind of, you know, suffer through life, and then we die. when we die, there's this amazing hope of heaven? I don't mean to speak down on heaven because it really is amazing, but I was just asking myself, so is our hope, is there, is there any hope? Is there any hope for now, God? And I believe that Jesus died to save us from something and for something. He didn't just save us from hell to take us to heaven. He saved us for a purpose here. 
So the scripture we read, it says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So there's the inheritance of heaven, but there's an inheritance in us. It says it's in us. What is this inheritance in us? So I finally broke this inheritance of heaven and eternal life into two parts. And I hope this is helpful for all of us to visualize today. There is the inheritance of heaven, yes. And that's a place and that's beautiful. And that's a location and that's for the future. And then there's eternal life, which is not the same Normally, we link eternal life in heaven. When we think of eternal life, we think of heaven. But eternal life doesn't speak of quantity of life. It speaks of quality of life. Eternal life is not just about living forever, although we will. Eternal life speaks of a kind of life that we have when we come to Jesus And that is already in you. Jesus says that when you believe, you have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start after you died. After you die. When you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life already. That's the inheritance in us. When we are born again in Jesus, the Bible says we're born again. That means it's a new life, right? Birth, you're birthed into a new life, a new reality. You're welcomed into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And eternal life in him is just simply living. It's this different way of living. The message paraphrase translates this this verse. I love to read the message sometimes. It just gives you a different perspective, which is fun. It says, the glorious way of life God has for his followers. It translates this inheritance of eternal life as a glorious way of life. It's a different way of living our eternal life in Jesus. I heard this quote uh, that says, hope... It's not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense. So to me, it's not that things are going to turn out okay. It just makes sense. When you discover your hope in Jesus, it's not anymore. Your hope is not founded anymore in you having success. But it's about you finding this meaning, finding out who God is, who you are, who he created you to be, what he has called you into. It makes sense. And that is hope. Hmm, that's a good life. And the whole point of this series is uh, strengthening our core when we understand this when we understand this reality of new life in Jesus, so clear in our hearts, when we get it, this should give us a new lens into how we approach life completely differently. We should see things completely different through the lenses of God's kingdom and not through the lenses of this world. 
The kingdom of God is a kingdom of hope because God is God of hope. So again, it's not about a feeling. It's about a state of being. It's a kind of life. So last summer, um, I went on a play date with a friend and my son Jonah, my youngest son Jonah, he was three at the time. And my friend's daughter was also three. So they were playing together and they don't play together very often. So she was actually calling him John instead of Jonah. And they were playing around and she's like, John, John, come here. Let's go down the slide. John, da, 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 da. And I thought it was cute. You know, oh, that's funny. She's saying his name wrong, you know, whatever. But my friend was like, no, it's Jonah. It's not John. But she didn't care. She just went on and on calling him John, 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 John. So after an hour of them playing at the playground and Jonah being called John, he eventually came to me at this point and he said, mommy, is my name John? <laughs> It was such a sweet moment. It was so cute. I laughed, but I was thinking, my goodness, think about this. He had spent three years of his life being called Jonah. And then after one hour of being called John, he started questioning, questioning if that was really his name. He started questioning if he was misunderstanding that this whole time. Did it take somebody my size to kind of translate it to me, what my name really is? That's how I understand some of our interactions as Christians with the world. We get this impartation of life from the Lord. He calls you by name. He gives you purpose. He gives you hope. He makes you whole. He gives you freedom. You experience all of that in God's presence. And then you go to the playground. And then you start hearing different things. And you start getting confused. What was that again? You start questioning even the core of who you are when you hear something different that messes you up. As children of God and citizens of heaven, we must not lose sight of this spiritual reality that we belong to. We are part of another kingdom. We can't translate things like the world. We're part of the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God and the eternal life creates and presents in you is a different realm of reality. And that should translate the world events around you differently. The things that you go through differently with another, with an eternal perspective and not the other way around. The world doesn't tell me how to translate the things of God. But my eternal life in him gives me vision to see the world the right way. Can you see how this changes everything? This is hope. This life in us is hope. We see and translate the things around us. 
and we see the way God sees. So anytime that I feel lost, confused, and yes, hopeless, I go back to God and I ask him, Father, how do you see what's going on? What does this, whatever's going on, what does this mean in your kingdom through your eyes? Father, give me vision. I know that looking through the eyes of the world, things are not looking really good for me right now. But I know that you see things differently. Give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation in this moment. Open my eyes to see hope. Hope is this truth that anchors you when you're going through things. Hope is not a shield around you, a shield against storms. It's an anchor through the storms. I understand hope not as life without storms, but the ability to see through a storm. We're called to live this way. Hope is having our spiritual core so strong that when things come your way, you're not going to be crushed by it. So hope is not about what's going on around you. It's about what's going on inside of you. We're called from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so when we live in fear and doubt and hopelessness, we are abiding and we are, we are in agreement with the kingdom of darkness. And I don't say this to scare you, but actually to give you hope because we were called out of that. We're called into this kingdom over here, the kingdom of light. This visual really helps me because when I start agreeing with certain things in my head, I think this is not how God sees. This is not how the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality through which I should be operating. And remember the park. I love that Jonah came back to me to clarify. He came back to his mom to clarify what was going on. Mom, what's my name? I'm confused. Go back to your father. When you lose sight of the reality of how you should be seeing things, go back to the Father and say, Daddy, would you remind me again? Who do you call me? What have you called me into? Remind me of the blessings that you have already blessed me with. I forgot again. They confused me out there again. Remind me, Father. Don't let the world confuse you. When we enter his presence, we enter hope. Pursue this spiritual perspective for the present moment. Understand the reality differently. See life with eternal life lenses. I want to finish with a scripture that just makes me so happy. When I was studying all about this, knowing God and knowing hope, what's hope and what's eternal life, I remembered this. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. 
I love this because it brings the beginning to the end. It goes full circle. Do you see that? Eternal life is knowing God. So Paul prays that they may know God, that they may know hope. Hope is eternal life, and eternal life is knowing God. And if you know God, you know hope, and hope is eternal life, and eternal life is knowing God. It is all connected. If you pursue knowing God more, you'll get everything else in the package. You get the hope. You get the life. You get the eternal life. It's all about knowing him. It's all about knowing him more. And Paul, of all people, back to him, he was certainly someone that we can see when we study Paul in the Bible. We see he lived this. The cycle, he got it. I want to remind you, he wrote all of this from prison where he would eventually be killed. I mean, he was imprisoned, ready to be killed. He of all people, he had every reason to be completely hopeless. Things were not fair for him. In the midst of his tragedy, his injustice, his pain, his eyes were not on that. But above that, he knew hope. Paul's circumstances didn't shake his core. He knew God. He knew the inheritance that was in him. He knew eternal life. And that's why we can read this and see, wow, this guy who had way more reasons than me to be hopeless. Look at him overflowing in hope. And Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know that hope even more, know God even more. And I want to do the same thing for you today. Christ community, I am inspired by your faith. And I want to stand here today just like I stood on those, the Denver streets cheering on my husband. I want to stand here and cheer you on. Friends, we can do this. I am inspired by your faith, by your faithfulness to serve, to love, the way you love one another. I want to pray that we may be hungry for even more, that we may never be just satisfied and stagnant, but that we may continue to nourish the nature of God in us, know him more, and experience this reality of the kingdom of God in us. And that we may live and operate out of this realm of hope. Let's pray. So wherever you are at uh, spiritually today, ask the Holy Spirit to meet you there. Maybe your passion to know God has grown dormant. Ask the Holy Spirit to stir that up again, to stir up a desire to know him more. Ask him that. Maybe you do have a growing passion to know God more. So ask him, Holy Spirit, give me more. I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to know you more.
Maybe you're at a place today where things feel really hopeless and you can't see things right. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you know the hope that is already yours. Know the inheritance that is in you today. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't entered this eternal life in him, but you're craving to experience this new birth. So I encourage you to simply tell him, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. Pray that right now. And let somebody know that you made this decision today. And I want to pray this passage over all of you right now. Father, now I ask you that you may give my friends here the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you even more, more and more, that they will be hungry for you that they'll experience greater intimacy with you, that they'll delight in your presence, that they may encounter you, Father, in a fresh way today. And I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that they may know this hope to which you have called us. Father, help them enter this realm of hope where you are that they may know the riches of your inheritance in them, in us, that we may experience this new way of living. Teach us, Jesus, how to live life in this new way, to live out our eternal life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.